Well, welcome to Sojourn Church again. So glad that you've gathered with us this morning. It's always good to be together on a Sunday together. Hey, if you need a Bible this morning, you just raise your hand and we'll have some people bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to, to read along with us this morning. We are going to be looking at a lot of scripture as we have been over these last few weeks and we'd love for you to be able to flip back and forth to what we're going to be looking at. Just keep your hand up until they find you. And if you don't have a Bible, know that those are always there for you to take as a gift so that you can read God's word with us. You know, promises are a part of our lives. They kind of always have been. I mean, we used to, probably when we were kids, make promises to each other. Maybe they were silly promises and solidified with a pinky swear or two to each other. Uh, But as we get older, promises continue to be a part of our lives. They just maybe become a little more sophisticated and sometimes more meaningful. Maybe we don't always use the word promise, but it's what we're still communicating. The definition of a promise is a declaration that something will or will not be done, given, etc. by a person. And so we make wedding vows to one another. We make commitments to our employer about our work that we will do and how we'll stick with the company. We commit to being on time, to fulfilling certain responsibilities. We promise to pay our mortgage or student loans. In fact, a promissory note is given saying and outlining the fact that you are committing to pay back what's been loaned to you. There are a lot of ways we make promises and things we make promises about. Well, as we open up again to the book of Genesis this morning, we're going to see the significance of the promise that God has made to Abram. We're going to see it play out a bit more. God had said he's going to do some pretty incredible things, but as we're going to see, Abram's not quite sure that God can, can come through on his promise that he's made to him. And what I want to do today is I want to look at a theme that I think emerges out of Genesis chapter 12 through 17. As we look at those six chapters, I think we'll see this theme that kind of rises out of these chapters. And out of it, I think that we'll be able to see and learn and be encouraged about God, about who he is. And at the very same time, I believe God's word will challenge us in an area in our life, something deep within our own hearts and lives that when we stop and think about it, all of us deal with and struggle with. I believe God's word has power to change you. I believe God's word has power to change me. I believe that it can be like a surgeon's knife cutting precisely into our lives in order to either bring or preserve life. And so let's pray for attentiveness to the spirit this morning and ask God to do just that with his word. Let's pray. Father, we do believe that your word has the power and ability to change us, that you've given it to us to to cut us in a a good way, Lord, to bring it to the surface things that need to be dealt with, to continue to renew and transform our hearts and our minds so that we might more faithfully follow you in every aspect of our life. And so, Lord, we ask this morning as we open up your word that you would give us attentiveness to the Spirit Whatever is going on, Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be distractions this morning in our minds, that we'd set down our phones and set down the troubles of life right now and just pay attention to your word. And Father, I pray that in that, that you would reveal yourself clearly to us. I ask that you would bring about transformation and change in our lives because we were here today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible. And turn to Genesis chapter 15. 
your bulletins are uh, incorrect again as they were last week because, I, like I said last week, I changed things up before or after those were all printed, um, but that's just how it goes. So sorry if you're a super type A kind of person that's messing with you this morning, but this is what we're doing. So Genesis chapter 15, reading verses 1 through 5, the author of Genesis writes this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. For the sake of simplicity this morning and trying to draw out this theme that is emerging out of these chapters in 12 through 17, I'm going to actually preach two different sermons Uh, on this text. So this morning we're going to look at, like I said, this overarching theme, but next week we're going to come back to Genesis chapter 15 and focus specifically on God's words to Abram and how this all relates to faith and the gospel in our lives. But today we're going to look at this whole big picture. What we just read in Genesis chapter 15 is a, is a tension building text. There's a lot of tension going on in this exchange between Abram and God. But in order for us to really feel that tension, in order for us to really understand it, we need to go back a little bit further to Genesis chapter 12, where we left off with Abram last week as we were walking through this story. And what we see happening is this phenomenal picture of who God is in the midst of faltering, in the midst of faithlessness and shortcomings. And it is good news for you and for me today. So what happened in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9? We read some of that earlier in our service, but God spoke to Abram. He called him to forsake his old life, to leave everything that he had known and to follow him in faith to a new land that God had showed to him. He promised Abram that he would make him into a great nation, that he would give him a place. He would make Abram into this great people. This man who has no child, whose wife is barren, God says, I will do this work. And most significantly, through Abram, he says he will bless the entire world. And Abram believes God's word. And he goes, taking his family and his possessions with him to a new place, never intending to return to his homeland. But then something happens. We get to the end of verse 9, and we see Abram doing these things, and But then we get to verse 10 and a a testing of Abram's faith starts to happen. And this is where this pattern unfolds over these next few chapters in this story. A pattern of faltering and struggling with faith. A pattern that all of us can relate to. And again, we're going to take this at a high level and look at all of these chapters together. And it's going to be a, a bit of a roller coaster rides of up and down for Abram and his faith. So let's jump into the story. Verse 10 says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. So chapter 12 starts with God calling Abram. Chapter 12 goes on with Abram following after God. But then we get to verse 10 and it says, man, there's a severe famine in the land and there's this famine here. And Abram does what's probably the most natural thing to do. He looks for provision for his family. 
He looks for provision for his household, for his servants and his livestock. And notice he goes to Egypt. He he doesn't return back home. He's not intending to go back to his home place. He's still trying to trust God in this. And so he goes to the the place that's closest by, the place that would have plenty of food. And that's Egypt. But see, all indications are that Abram did this on his own initiative. He never inquired of God, the God who had called him out of Ur to go to this new place. He never asks him. He never takes God into account. And this is where the problem begins. As Abram heads into Egypt, he realizes that there might be a threat to his life because of the beauty of his wife. He's afraid that they're going to see her and kill him to get her, to bring her into Pharaoh's house. And so he comes up with this plan and he tells his wife, Sarai, hey, let's not tell people that we're married. Let's just tell them that we're brother and sister. And he lies in order to save his own skin. But it gets him in trouble quickly. It puts his wife in danger. Sarai is taken into Pharaoh's house. And in exchange for this, Abram isn't killed because, hey, he's just her brother. And so in exchange for her, Pharaoh hooks Abram up. He gives him livestock and male and female servants and camels. He gives him so many riches, so many more things. But God is gracious to them. In the midst of this, God intervenes. God rescues Abram and Sarai out of this predicament that he's placed himself into. And Abram is sent out of Egypt, humbled. See, in this moment, it isn't so much that Abram denied God. I don't think he's looking at God denying God. I, I don't believe you. I don't believe you exist. What he's done is he simply forgot him in the midst of a crisis. He forgot how great God is. As one commentator And pastor said, he said, Abram's trickery in Egypt was not an act of faith. He was living as if the God who had spoken to him in Ur, who had promised those incredible personal and global blessings, who had led him to and through Canaan and promised to him, to it, to his descendants, did not exist. Man, aren't we so much like this? Especially in the midst of crisis. We seek to make provision when crisis comes and maybe along the way we're like, oh yeah, God, will you bless the plans that I've made? And we have to stop and think about this, that in Abram's faithlessness, he gets material riches. I mean, sojourn, how deceiving is it in our world today that we could think that worldly success is always equal to obedience and faithfulness to God when it might be the very opposite. The beginning of this pattern is unfolding in Abram's life. God has called him to forsake. He's called him to follow. He's called him to have faith. But Abram falters. He struggles here. But God remains faithful. He allows Abram to make this mistake, but then he rescues him out of it because he has greater things in store for him. This faltering of faith, this taking things into his own hands is it is not, it's not going to God. He's not going to God in the midst of a very real trial. I mean, famine, that's serious business. Hey, Abram's thinking, my family might die. All of my livestock might die. My servants who I'm responsible for, all these people might die. Famine is a real trial. So this is not about minimizing the seriousness of what Abram's dealing with. It's about the fact that he tries to do things on his own. And because of that, he will reap repercussions throughout the rest of this story as we'll see. 
So Abram leaves Egypt alive. He leaves with his wife by God's grace. And he goes back to where God had called him to go originally. Chapter 13, verses 3 through 4 say, And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. He walks again in faith. He trusts God again, worshiping the faithful God, saying, God, this is where you called me to be. I'm going to go back to where you told me to go. But it's here that we start to see the beginnings of these consequences of his faithlessness impact his life. He gets back to this place with his nephew Lot, and now he's got all these other people with him, all these other livestock with him, and the land can't support both of them. And so they need to figure out what to do. They can't both stay in the same place any longer. Here comes another moment of testing for Abram. He could seek to take control again. Perhaps he's learned something from his escapade of faithlessness in Egypt. And instead of grabbing for control and land, he lets Lot pick where he will go. And he trusts that God will provide what God said he would provide. And our faithful God is honored by Abram's faith. And he speaks to him. He reiterates his promise once again to him. Verses 15 and 16, he says, For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that it can, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And Abram believes God's word. He believes God is who he says he is and will do what he said he's going to do. So he's been in a place of faithlessness, not trusting God, and it hasn't gone well for him. And now he's in this place of faith, believing God. Okay, God, I, I do believe you are good. I believe that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. And that continues on into chapter 14. He continues to walk by faith. And this crazy event happens where Lot is kidnapped by foreign forces. And Abram goes and rescues him out of this. And at the end of this section, the king of Sodom comes out to Abram and he is seeking to broker a deal with him. He's seeking to conduct a business transaction with Abram and he offers Abram great riches. But again, maybe Abram is recalling that the last time he received riches from a pagan king, it was not under good circumstances. So he refuses. He believes God again. He believes God will look after him, that God will provide And this leads us to the text we read at the beginning out of Genesis chapter 15. It's here that this tension begins to build more and more. Genesis 15, 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God speaks to him. He says, look, don't fear. I know this man is offering you great riches. And the, the way the world operates would say, you need to take these things. But, but Abram, trust me. I am faithful to you. Do not fear. I will bless you as I've promised to bless you so that you might be a blessing. But in the midst of God speaking to Abram, it exposes Abram's heart. He's struggling to believe. I can imagine him lying there in a tent in a land that's not his own. Far, far away from his home, far away from people that he knows, far away from security, his wife asleep next to him, and he's seeking to trust God. 
He's seeking to follow him, seeking to believe his word, but he's having a hard time laying in there in that tent next to his wife, and they still have no child. They still have no land. They're just in this place all by themselves. In fact, his nephew has even left him at this point. God said he would make him a great nation, but some 10 years have passed, and there's still no child. So Abram responds to God. He boldly shares his unhappiness with him. Verses 2 and 3, it says, But Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? God said, I'll give you a great reward. He says, What will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you've given me no offspring. And the member of my household will be my heir. God, I, I believed you. I left everything for you. I came out here and thought you would be faithful to your word, but God, it doesn't seem like you even care about me. I mean, this is almost a blasphemous statement for Abram to make. He's essentially saying, God, you are not faithful. You are not reliable. Your word is not true. It is not good. Have you ever had those moments of deep struggle? Where life it just seems so crushing, so hard, so difficult, and your thought is, God, do you even care? Are you even there? Do you even listen to me? So how does God respond to Abram's faint-hearted faith in this moment? And God is extremely gracious to him, and he's patient, and he's telling him once again what he's already told him. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. I mean, it's huge here that God in his grace and patience reaffirms the promise that he's made to Abraham, but he, confer- he clarifies it to him. He says, look, I'm not just going to make you into a great nation. Your, your servant is not going to be your heir. I'm going to bless you with a child. Your very own son will be your heir. And I love what God does. He calls him out of his tent and he, and he says, look up at the sky. Look at all the stars that I have made, Abram. I will make your descendants like that. See, God is proclaiming his faithfulness again to Abram, even though Abram's struggling with his own faith. Saying, I made the stars. I hold the universe together. Your very life is in my hands. I will do what I promise to do. I will be faithful. Verse 6 says, And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It's in this moment, by God's grace, that he goes out and he is in awe and he believes. He had faltered in his faith, but God in his faithfulness gives Abram faith to believe. He comes out and says, look up at the stars, look and see what I have done, what my hands have made. I am faithful. Trust me. Believe me. And Abram does. In his heart, he says, amen. Yes, it will be so. See, he had believed God's word now for over a decade, but here it's defined. God says it's credited to him as righteousness. And we're going to come back to that next week and spend a significant amount of time talking about that. But two things that we can note so far in this is that this is not a call in the midst of difficulty in life, in the midst of struggling to believe that God is good. This is not a call to stoic silence. 
but rather active relationship. We see Abraham, Abram going to God in the midst of his struggle, going to him in the midst of his difficulty. So we too can go to God when we're struggling to believe. And man, the second thing that we see in this is, man, how often do we need to be reminded of what we already know? I was talking to a sister in Christ this past week, and I, and I said to her, I said, I know you already know this, but I'm going to remind you again. Man, we need to be reminded of God's truth. We need to be reminded of his faithfulness over and over and over and over again. And that's what God does with Abram. He reiterates his promise to him again. Verses 7 and 8, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram responds, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God says he will do what he said. He will give him this land in order to make him a great nation to bless all nations. And Abram asks, how will he know this is going to happen? And and in this moment, I don't think it's so much that Abram is faithless at this point. I think it's him saying, I do believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. And God doesn't stop there. He wants Abram, and I believe he wants us as well, to understand the level of his faithfulness to his promises and to his words. And so he makes a covenant with Abram. He tells Abram to set up this covenant ceremony, which requires that he takes these animals and cuts them in half, placing one on one, one half of the animal on one side and one on the other to create an aisle. And this is a common practice of making covenants during this time. And when two people made a covenant promise to one another, they would both walk down the aisle. And what it signified was, is if someone breaks the covenant promise, they will be like these animals, cut in half. But as the ceremony is about to begin, God allows Abram to fall into a deep, dark sleep. And God alone walks down the covenant aisle. This is a promise God alone would keep. With the people he was forming. God is faithful to his plans. And God is faithful to his people. He will do it. See like we said last week. This is about God. This is his story. He is the one that's calling a people. He's the one that is forming a people. And redeeming a people. It's his work done by his power. And his grace. I mean how many times do we read over and over again. Through the stories. I will God says. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. He doesn't tell Abram that. Well only if you do these things. Over and over again. He reiterates that. Abram you need to walk in obedience to me. But I'm the one that's going to bring this about. Now, you would think after something like this, God takes him out and he sees and it's credited to him as righteousness. And God does this covenant ceremony with Abram. You would think that Abram would be set, patiently waiting, knowing and believing that God is indeed faithful to his promises. But he continues to struggle. In his impatience, in his wife's impatience, he falters again. See, what's clear at this point is that Abram and Sarai are going to have a family. Abram will be the father of this child, but the question might remain in the back of their minds, but will it be with her? And in anguish over her barrenness, she takes things into her own hands. And this unfolds in Genesis chapter 16. She comes up with a crazy idea for Abram to sleep with her maidservant in order to have a child, to essentially allow Hagar to be a surrogate for her. And Abram is certainly not innocent in this, as we can imagine. 
he faithless, faithlessly abdicates to his wife. And he does what she says. And Hagar conceives a child. And then both Abram and Sarai continue in their sin against her, treating her in an awful, awful way. And God shows grace to Hagar. But see, it all began when they began to distrust God's word. They decided God needed help in fulfilling his word. We know your promise, God, but, but maybe you need a little assistance. Maybe we can come alongside and do something on our own to make this come to fruition. I mean, we can even stop here and think about this in a little bit different way. Hagar is likely one of the servants that Abram got in his foray in Egypt. His distrust of God back here has led to disobedience in his life to God here. The consequences of his faithlessness continue to follow him. But God continues to show his faithfulness to Abram and Sarai. He continues to show it. But in the midst of him continuing to show it, they continue to struggle to believe. God, you're too slow. God, you're not doing this the way that I want you to do it or I think you should do it. Do it. God, you don't care. And the ramifications for his faithlessness are huge with the birth of Ishmael. And at this moment, God seems to become silent for 13 years. A man who walked closely with the Lord, who had heard from God, doesn't hear from him for 13 years. But even in the midst of his faithlessness, God remains faithful. And he speaks to Abram again. Genesis chapter 17 When Abram was 99 years old, he left his home when he was 75. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God's still going to do what he said he was going to do. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God comes to Abram in the midst of his struggle to believe, and God continues to be gracious and patient and faithful. He says, I am God Almighty. I will do this. All power to do all things lies with me. And I love that he changes Abram's name to Abraham, and later on in chapter 17, he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. For all that's happened, in this moment, God seeks to redefine them, to give them a new identity. To declare, this is who you are because this is who I have made you to be. See, Abraham and Sarah are names that are rooted in God's promises, rooted in God's faithfulness, and rooted in God's power to bring it about. Abraham, Sarah, you have struggled in your faithfulness, but I will always be faithful. 
And then God gives Abraham the covenant sign of circumcision as an unchanging sign of promise. As an act of repentance and faith for Abraham. See, in his fleshly expediency and faithlessness, he has sought to create his own people. But this sign in this way would be a reminder that it is God who does this work from beginning to end. And he is faithful to his word. This is a reminder that there's no way but God's way and that his way is for our good and his glory. The seed of Eve will crush the head of the serpent. You will be a great nation, blessed to be a blessing to the world. The Redeemer will come through you. And in all of this, all of God's faithfulness and patience with Abraham, he obeys and he makes this sign of belief. And God is faithful. As we'll look in two weeks, we see that Isaac, the son of promise, is born. God called Abraham to walk by faith, to follow him and trust that he is faithful to his promises to Abraham and to his plan of redemption. And Abraham struggled. He, he, he struggled with unbelief. But in the midst of his struggles with faithlessness, God continued to remain faithful. And if we're honest, we struggle so much in the same way. We struggle to believe that God is good, that he is faithful to his promises to us. When we come to forsake and to follow and to place our faith and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, I think a lot of times we often expect nothing but blue skies ahead. But the reality is that faith is often followed by famine. Things become difficult in life. Following Christ becomes difficult. The battle between our flesh and the spirit rages within us. And all the while, we still live in a broken, fallen world and experiences the reality and the consequences of that on a daily basis. See, every event in your life and my life is an opportunity for us to draw near to God or run away from him. We see that with Abraham. He runs away from God. He ignores God. He tries to do things on his own or he goes to him. So the question for us is, who do you trust? When things get challenging or difficult in your life, who or what do you turn to? I think an even deeper question for us to ask this morning is not, do you believe in God, but do you believe God? A lot of people say they believe in God, but do you believe him? Do you trust him? Do you believe that he is good, that he is faithful? It's often easy for us to believe in far-off things like heaven. But the challenge comes in believing that God will be faithful today in the details of our life. We desire control over the details. We desire control over the direction of our lives. And when things seem out of control, which if we're honest is most of the time, we question God. We become anxious and we worry and we run away from God. We seek to step into the driver's seat saying, God, let me help you out with this. This isn't going the way that I think it should go or the way I, I think that you want it to go. So let me do this work. But again, like I said last week, this is not primarily a story about Abraham, but about God. And the God that continued to be faithful to Abraham is the same God to you today. And that should give us such joy and peace and comfort. It should comfort our souls today to know that God, who has always been faithful, today remains faithful. Nothing in your life, nothing going on in your life right now, nothing that's going to happen in your life tomorrow is unexpected by God. 
He's not up there wondering what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Something doesn't happen in your life and he's going, oh my goodness, what am we going to do now? I didn't see that coming. And maybe that brings a lot of questions. Well, why would God allow certain things? But I think it's way more comforting to know that God knows this is going to happen and he's still in control of everything and he's faithful. It doesn't stress him out. He's faithful to his plans and his people. And in the midst of struggling, we can often think or say, but, but, but if God really loved me, he would do this thing or that thing. But man, don't you see? God does love you. He sent his one and only son to die for you, to rescue you, to call you his own, to bring you into a better city, a lasting city whose foundation is built by God. Abraham struggled with unbelief. He needed to be redeemed out of his unbelief. And you and I struggle with unbelief. But we also need to be redeemed out of our unbelief. But the redeemer that Abram needed came through him. Christ died for Abraham's unbelief. And Christ has died for your unbelief. And that's the good news of the gospel. God knew that you're going to struggle with faith in him. And so he sent Christ to die to bear the wrath of God that you deserve when you walk off and wander off in faithlessness. Christ died for that. God established a covenant with Abram, but he has established a new covenant through Christ through the shedding of his blood for you. See, Jesus lived a perfect life of faith. He went through temptations and trials and difficulty just like you and I do, but he remained faithful in that, trusting the Father. Not my will, but yours be done was the cry of Jesus' heart and life. See, the fullest expression of God's faithfulness to his people and his promises is giving of his son, is the sacrifice of his son, is the resurrection of his son, in doing that even in the midst of our faithlessness. The fullest expression of God's faithfulness to his people and his promises comes through Jesus. And that is the fullest expression for Abraham and it's the fullest expression for you and for me today. God spoke to Abraham, but through Christ, he has spoken finally and fully to us. And if we are in Christ, we have been given a new identity. And our identity is now rooted in God's promises, rooted in God's faithfulness, and rooted in God's power to bring it about. And because of this reality, because of what Christ has done for us, because he has died for our unbelief and our faithlessness, we can now walk by faith in the mundane parts of life when every day just seems like the day before. We struggle to believe that God is for us. Even in the midst of temptation and struggles with sin, we can walk by faith. Even in the most difficult points of life that have come or will come until Jesus returns, we can walk by faith because of what Christ has done for us. So the question remains, do you trust God? Do you believe that he is good, that his word is for your good, that he is faithful to his promises to you? Maybe we need to ask that question. What are God's promises to you or to me? They're not to hook you up in life. They're they're not to give you what you think you need or what you think you even deserve. They're not to make your life comfortable. That's not God's promise to you. But listen to his word. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God will do that work. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined for this purpose. This is his purpose for you, his promise to you, to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Everything works together for good in your life. And the good thing in your life is that God's going to make you more like Jesus. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That is God's work to do in your life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 say, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. You rejoice in the fact that God's promises to you as your inheritance is secure. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And man, there are so many more promises we could spend probably forever just reading and rereading and over and over again the promises of God to us. But the main thing we need to see is that the promise that God has given to you is that he has redeemed you through Christ. And now he's going to transform you to be like Christ. God says, I will do this work in your life. I will restore the image of God in you because Christ has come to bear the wrath that is due to you. This is God's work and he will do it. See, in the midst of looking at this story in Genesis and looking at God's story in your own life, we have to come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Christ Jesus is the culmination of every promise of God. Every promise of God culminates in Christ. The promises of Abraham culminate in Christ. The promises of transformation and redemption in your life culminate in Christ. And so it's to him that we look to find our joy and our peace and our satisfaction. It's him we look to for our comfort, for grace, for mercy and help in time of need. No matter what's going on in your life, we look to Jesus. When we understand that, then we can heed and believe James' words to us. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we understand God's faithfulness to us and his promise to bring us to this place of completion, we can say with the Apostle Paul, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory 
beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God is faithful to do this work, just as he was faithful to fulfill his word to Abraham. Look, the struggles of life are real. The reality of unbelief is real. At different points in time, all of us are going to struggle. All of us struggle, maybe on a daily basis or a weekly basis, to believe that God is good, that he's faithful, and that he's in control. I struggle with that. I find in moments, especially in certain areas, whether it's finances or with my kids, that that's where I want to grasp onto control. When my bank account isn't where I think it needs to be, then I want to tighten my grip on that, saying, God, I need to take care of this. I need to figure this out on my own. And I, and I don't believe that God's good. I don't believe he's going to be faithful to me. But I have to come back to the reality of what God has said. God is faithful to his plans and his people. He's promised to never leave me or forsake me. In the midst of the ins and outs of life, And the longings that all of us have, even good God-honoring longings, we have to understand the possibility that things may not come, that things may not happen. What if marriage doesn't come? What if kids don't come? What if you don't ever get that promotion? What if healing doesn't come in your life? What if you always struggle with this particular thing? What if the person that you love so much never comes to faith in Christ? What if you lose someone that's close to you too early and too soon? In the stormy moments of life, when the waves of life seem to be crashing all around us, I want us to be able to say, God, this is unbelievably and unbearably hard, but you are unimaginably and unrelentingly good. Help me in my struggle. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me to have faith in your faithfulness, God. Sojourn, our temptation is going to be to gravitate toward faithlessness and control in the midst of circumstances and situations that we do not know how to resolve. We're going to trust God when things are going well, but struggle to trust him when they're not. But that's why we have to come back to the gospel. Don't forget what God has done for you and what God is continuing to do in you. Remember the promises of God to you that all of them find their yes and amen in Jesus. If you're struggling with believing that God is faithful to his people, if you're struggling to believe that God is faithful to you, look to the cross. Be reminded that you were dead in your sin, but God out of his love and mercy and grace sent his son to die for you. So that you might be called a child of God. So that you might receive the inheritance of the kingdom of God and God himself. Abraham never saw the fullness of the promises of God fulfilled to him. God said, I will give you this land and his whole life he lived in tents. God said, I will make you into a great nation. And it took 25 years for even the beginnings of that promise to come to fruition with the birth of his son. But see, Abraham's story is so much more bigger than it is about Abraham, than it is bigger than him. God's story in your life is so much bigger than you. 
He is redeeming and restoring and reconciling all things to himself. And he will make all things new. He is and he will. But as we wait, let's not falter in our faithfulness, turning away to trust in self or princes or the power of this world, but instead dig in deeper, abiding in Jesus, throwing off the sin that so easily entangles and running the race before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of God. And let's remind each other of this over and over and over again. Man, we cannot journey through life on our own. We need the community of our brothers and sisters to help us in this race that we're running. Because when we're struggling, when we're faltering, when we have a leg cramp or a stomach cramp and we just want to give up, we need our brothers and sisters around us to say, no, God remains faithful. Let me carry you with me a little ways down the road. And sojourn, Jesus wins. Let's remind each other of that. And maybe you're running away from God right now. Maybe you're pursuing sin and self, believing that when you are Lord of your life, when you are in control, that things will go better or be better for you. Maybe you've never turned away from your sin and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, never trusted in his life, death, and resurrection for you. And if that's you, know this morning that the kindness of the Lord leads you to repentance. God is patient. He is kind. We see that as he displays that to Abraham, as he struggles. God's kindness leads you to repentance. He is patient, but don't presume on his grace. Turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Sojourn, life is hard. It's hard. It's okay to admit that. It's difficult. It's hard to follow in obedience and faithfulness. It's challenging. But God is faithful to his people, even in the midst of their faltering faith. He called you out of death into life. He called you out of a land of darkness into light, just like Abraham. He has the words of life. He is your life. Come to him, rest in him, abide in him. Even in your unbelief, he is faithful. Christ died for it. And that's good news for us today. Praise God that it's not up to us. As God brought Abram out to look at the stars in the sky as a sign of his faithfulness and his promise, so the bread and the cup do the same for us now. They're a reminder to us. A sign and a gift of grace to refresh and nourish and encourage our souls today. They call us to remember that God has established a new covenant with you by sending his son to you to rescue you. And so as you eat the bread this morning, be reminded that Christ's body was given for you. And as you take and drink the cup this morning, be reminded that Jesus' blood was shed for you. And today, let me encourage you to come quickly to the table. Come quickly to the table and taste and see the faithfulness of God to you that comes in and through Jesus, even in the midst of your stumbling, faltering, and faint-hearted faith. And if you're not a follower of Christ, 
We just ask you not to come forward to take communion today because this for us is a declaration that we are in desperate need of God's grace. It's a cry for us that we need help to believe and trust in the faithfulness of God, but we know that's where life is found. And so if you've never repented of your sin and turned in faith to Christ, let me call you this morning not to come forward to take communion, but to take Christ. Sit in your seat and just pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And please come talk to somebody after the service. We'd love to pray with you and we'd love to walk with you through your spiritual journey. And those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready to receive it and tear off a small piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Sojourn, let's give thanks to the Lord this morning for he is good and his faithful and steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for the fact that even as we struggle, and we all do, Lord, we struggle just like Abraham. We struggle to believe that you are good. We struggle to believe that you are faithful. And Lord, there can even be those moments where you display your faithfulness to us right before our very eyes and we find ourselves the very next day disbelieving. Lord, we pray for your help. We pray for your help and your mercy. We need it this morning. Lord, I don't know where everybody's at in this room, but I pray that you would help them to really believe that you are good and that you are faithful. Lord, we want to abide in you. We want to run to you. And so we pray that you'd call us to yourself, that you would be gracious and kind to us this morning. And Lord, even somebody that's here that's just struggling with the mundaneness of life, Lord, I pray that you would just speak a word of encouragement today through your word that's been preached and through the songs that we sing. May we respond and worship to you today, knowing that you are good, that you are faithful, and that your love endures forever. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen.